So um, I just thought I'll, while I'm up here, I'll just um, pass on a, a couple of announcements. Um, the first one is we do have a date for the baptism. Uh, we decided as a leadership that October 20th would be ideal. I think everyone at leadership is here for that. So if you want to put that in your calendars um, for the baptism, October 20th, and that'll be subject to whether we can get the hall or not. So, um, but I'm pretty sure it should be okay. Um, second thing is prayer jar. I've got a prayer request jar at the back. Um, I've had four requests so far, which I've come in this morning and I've prayed for them. Um, and so if you've got something that's on your heart that you want um, to be prayed over, just write it on a piece of paper. There's a paper and a pen there. And so I'll pray for that every third Sunday of the month. Okay. Um, before we get into the Word, I thought it would be ideal if we just have a quick prayer and then um, we'll get right into it. Heavenly Father, we come before you, uh, we come to honour you and your word, and we come to, um, around your word, we ask that you help us to understand it, help us to apply it, and um, help us to live by it every day. And we thank you that, um, especially for Apostle Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament, and his insights into the gospel. Um, without his um, prolific writing record, I mean, how much of the gospel would we have known, except through the Old Testament, what you've revealed to us. But I uh, thank you for, for his life and the dedication he's put in building up churches and writing down your word. In your name we pray. Amen. So I've titled this uh, message, Put on the New Self. And it comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. And I'm going to read it out. It's on, it's not working. There we go. Thank you. Um, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, 
Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with another one in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving of one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now, just to kind of give a bit of a summary to Ephesians and to give you a bit of an understanding of what the whole epistle is all about, what all six chapters are about, think about it divided into two halves. So you have um, two halves. Just put this aside. We have chapters 1 to 3 and chapters 4 to 6, and that's roughly how it's split. And chapters 1 to 3 is all about what the new self is. While chapters 4 to 6 are all about how the new self lives. So what it is and how the new self lives. Chapters 1 to 3 is all about newness on the inside. While 4 to 6 is all about how the newness ought to work on the outside. 1 to 3, about all about who you are in Christ. And 4 to 6, all about how you act in Christ. We go from theological implications to practical ones. And this is where we are in chapter 4. We're looking at all the practical ones. And you can see that there's lots and lots of information that we've just gone through in just those from verse 17 to 32, just that short amount. There's a lot of implications to practice our Christianity before God and before one another. If we go back to verse 1, and I know I'm pretty much picking up from where I um, preached last time. Last time I looked at the last portion of chapter 3. If we look at the verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We see this word walk come up. Walk. It's going to come up again in verse 17. It comes up again twice in all of chapter 5. So it's like we've got these two chapters. It's all about the walk. And this walk signifies 
our daily practice living out our faith. The first three chapters deals with our position in Christ. Our last three deals with practice. In chapters, I think in chapter six we look at things regarding. It's in chapter five we look at things regarding um, the relationship between a man and a woman. In chapter six we look at the relationship between parents and children, and then we look at the master and slave and so forth before we get to the end. So that's the kind of um, practical implications that we have in the last three chapters. Um, I know since the last time I preached on Ephesians, I focused on chapter 3 in the last portion, the, the prayer, and I'm skipping a section, and I did that on purpose, only because Tibor has preached four sermons on it, and I thought, well, he said a lot about unity within the church. If you probably all remember, every two weeks he was delivering a sermon on unity. So I'm going to brush a little bit on that, just to refresh your memories about what he said. So in verse 1, it's introduced that Paul urges the believer to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. From verses 2 to 6, he covers moral qualities of this walk, and moral qualities that produce unity that is bound within the Trinity. Okay, both Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are mentioned in that passage, just like in the prayer before, in, at the end of chapter 3, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit mentioned in that prayer as well. It also covers within the verses 2 to 16 um, certain gifts that were given to help solidify God's word amongst believers. It talks about gifted um, men who would preach and teach and use um, the word of God to build and strengthen one another. So it doesn't cover all the gifts, but it's specific to the speaking gifts um, to solidify God's word amongst believers. And then the reason so that believers may grow towards maturity. That's the purpose of all the speaking gifts, to build people up to maturity. So that's what happens pretty much in verse 2 to 16. But then we get to verse 17 and it says... Now this I say and testify in the Lord, and you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Again, the walk comes up. Walk this way, don't walk that way. Walk this way, don't walk that way. It's how we practice our faith. And within this passage from 17 to 32, we see contrasts. And the contrast comes this way. Put off your old self, put on the new self. There's a contrast. Off with the old, in with the new. And you can see I I carefully selected this uh, bit of artwork here. A person taking off the old self and putting on the new self. That new self is given to us by Christ himself. It's symbolic of taking off dirty clothes. Clothes are dirty, they're smelly, full of stains. Get rid of them. Put on new clean clothes. They don't smell. Clean. 
They're new. So this is what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at three, three points. Within each three point, there's like four points within each one. So there's a lot of information here, so bear with me, but a lot of practical information, so it's quite helpful for our walk. We're going to look at put off your old self. A second point we're going to look at is put on the new self, and then we're going to look at principles for living the new self. So they're the three sections that um, we can kind of break this down. Okay. So put off your old self. The old self is self-centered. This is kind of like what Paul is doing here is got like four characteristics of what the old self is like. And then he's going to show us four contrasting characteristics of what the new self is all about. So the old self is self-centered. Here in verse 17, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now you've got to lock that word minds in your head for a moment because... That word comes back again. It starts out talking about minds. And then Paul comes back a little bit later on in verse 23 and he says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. That's very interesting. When you see something like this that's repeated, it's important. Anything you find in the scriptures and if it's repeated in the one passage, you know that it's important. If it's repeated in other passages, you know, again, it's important. So keep that, because this is where the futility is. And what that means, futility, it means vanity. It simply means vanity. Or useless thinking. It's the same kind of vanity as we find in Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter 1, verse 2. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. Solomon lived a life amounting to a mass of great things and it comes to the end and thinking, ah, what's the point of it all? It's vanity. It's like chasing after the wind. You chase after the wind, what's going to happen? You're never going to catch it. It goes this way, it goes that way. It's a vanity of the mind futility of their minds. It's very similar to what we see in uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, vain in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. It's very similar. So it reminds me of a child chasing bubbles. You know, I blow bubbles for my kids and they chase them. What happens when they catch them? It's gone. It's popped. Now they need another one. They have fun, but I don't see what the point is. I'm a grown-up, obviously, but I don't see what the point is. But that's, that's similar. Imagine grown-ups chasing these things in life that are bubbles, and when they get them, it just pops. What's the point? And sometimes, um, you know, chasing after the world's pleasure is just like this. Chasing after bubbles. Now, I better keep moving because I've got a lot of points here. 
The old self is ignorant of the truth. In verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. Now that's similar to Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Foolish hearts were darkened. Now in verse 18 of Ephesians 4, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So because of their hard hearts, stubborn hearts, they're ignorant. Their understanding is darkened and they don't know God. And if you look at the word ignorance, it's the opposite of wisdom. It's the opposite of knowing. Now, I can't help but think, um, you may have heard of um, something called intelligent design. And this is starting to gain a lot of popularity, especially amongst um, scientists. I remember reading about a professor from Yale University who's um, decided that evolution is no longer producing any answers of real substance. It's not as authentic as it used to be. And so there is a growing trend for people to uh, see design within all of nature and think, well, maybe there's an intelligent designer. And I understand that these are very, very clever people who are coming up with this. So we're not talking about ignorance as stupid people, but ignorance of people who are saying, um, well, even though, even though there may be some sort of designer, we're not going to um, choose to believe that it's God. I think this is where the ignorance is. Um, and I think it's in a similar to evolution, um, people, or, or naturalism, I should say, to be more specific, which um, uh, promotes evolution, uh, the idea is that to do away with a God so that people can live whichever way they want. They don't need to be restrained in any way. They don't need to be told what to do or, or what they not to do. And it's the same thing as in the intelligent design. Still, might seem a bit closer to, to the truth, but not quite. Still ignorant of the truth. Still got a bit of a, kind of like a dark cloud around it. Can't quite pinpoint who the designer is. So that's what the old self is. It's ignorant of the truth. It's also self-centered. The old self is shameless. It says here in verse 19, the beginning of verse 19, they have become callous. Now we all know what callous means. Um, I'm a guitarist. I play guitar a lot. And my fingertips become callous. In the beginning, it used to hurt. But now that my fingers are callous, they don't hurt anymore. I've lost a bit of feeling in my fingertips. And I'm glad in that case that I have because when I play guitar, I know I'm not going to be in pain after playing for an hour. But in another sense, um, losing all feeling in... Um, our sense or our sense of sin is somewhere where I, I don't want to lose feeling. So the old self is shameless in that it's apathetic. It has no feeling. And when someone has no feeling or sensitivity towards sin, they'll do whatever they want. It's almost like um, 
like on television. What we see a lot more of these days on television is uh, sexual violence. If I think 20 years ago how much sexual violence was on TV, it wasn't as much as it is today, but a lot of episodes, a lot of TV shows, they have no sensitivity toward this stuff, towards sexual violence. If they're telling a story and there's rape in the story, they'll, they'll put that on the screen and there's more and more of it. I don't know if anyone else has had the same, um, has noticed this as well, but I've noticed that today we see on TV more sexual violence than there ever was. Um, and I just think that people aren't as shameful as they used to be. Uh, there's no sensitivity to, towards this. And I think there is a greater need to be sensitive towards this, especially when we are trying to tackle things like um, domestic violence and so forth. Um, so this is the old self. The old self is also reprobate in mind. So it says in 19, and I'll read the rest of it, they've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So that word sensuality also can be translated as debauchery or licentiousness. A license to do whatever. Okay. And as you can see from the text, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Just wanting more and more and more and more of it. And it's very similar to what we read in Romans chapter 1 of what a reprobate mind is. It's like a good-for-nothing mind. One that's led towards sensuality. And I can't help but think this... Um, There is, um, with, with this reprobate mind, um, I don't know if you've ever come across this, but something called hate sex. It's, you hate the person, so you sleep with them. This is what a reprobate mind produces. And then people find joy in this as well. It's absolutely senseless. And this is something that's becoming more and more common. This is all to do with the old self. We are to put this off. We are to put off self-centeredness. We are to put off being ignorant of the truth. Put off shamelessness and put off this reprobate mind, mindlessness. And we are to put on the new self. The new self is Christ-centered, not self-centered. It's Christ-centered. In verse 20, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Look at what it says. We learn Christ. As we learn, we are Christ-centered. We're not useless, but purposeful. 
sometimes trying to please the self, being self-centered. It's just like chasing the wind, just like chasing after bubbles, they just pop. We never catch them. It's useless. There's no purpose to it. But we learn Christ. Christ gives us purpose. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Rest from chasing bubbles. That's great news. Um, and we learn from Christ. As we are Christ-centered, we find rest. That is purpose. So the new self is Christ-centered, not self-centered. The new self knows the truth. It's not ignorant of the truth. In verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Look at the words heard. Heard about him and taught. We're taught in him. The truth is in Jesus. So we're not ignorant of the truth. We find our truth in Jesus. He provides all our truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So it's not self-centered, but Christ-centered. It's not ignorant of truth, but it knows the truth. And this is what the new self, we are to put this on. These are our clean clothes that we get to put on. The new self is sensitive to sin, not shameless. In verse 22, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Put on, put off your old self. That's how you used to live. Repent from it. Move away. It's corrupt. It's deceitful. It produces senselessness. Shameless. When you put that off, you start to become sensitive to sin. Become sensitive. You understand that sin is corruption. It makes one life dirty. Put on the new self, it'll make you clean. Jesus makes us clean. We want to feel the impulses towards sin. We want to feel this corruption. We want to have that within us where we know, oh, I better not go there because I know it's going to lead to sin. Have that sensitivity within us. Not be callous anymore. Have feeling. We know when, to, when we're watching TV and we find something that's contrary to the word, we know that why it's contrary, because we can feel it. We have that sense within us when we put that new self on. So the new self is Christ-centered, sensitive to sin. It knows the truth. The new self is renewed in mind. It's not a reprobate in mind. So verses 23 to 24, And be renewed in the spirit of your minds, 
and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That word renewed, it means renovate or to reform, create new again. I can't help but think of the, um, a lot of the TV shows on Channel 94, not the Monday night ones, but the, some of the other night ones where you get all these renovation shows like Fixer Upper and Old Bones and Boise Boys. I don't know if any of you have seen these. And like when you look at ones, when you look at these ones, they find these really, really old rundown houses, especially old bones. They find the most rundown house and they make it new again. It looks nothing like its original state. It's reform, renovate. In the spirit of our minds, have our thinking renovated. Our thinking becomes Christ-centered. Our thinking knows the truth. Our thinking is sensitive to sin. Our thinking is renewed. It's made new again. And... Um, you know, when, when we have this thinking that's new, we can see this kind of thinking in other people as well. So, um, just as a side note, you know, Candace and I like to watch Boise Boys. Um, we like it for a few reasons. Uh, we like renovation shows. We just like to see the old made new. But we also like it because one of the characters looks a bit like Tibor in there. He's got the glasses, he's got the hair. Um, so yeah, now I think a few of you recognise this TV show. And uh, lo and behold, this character, his name's Luke, is also a Christian, just like Tibor is. Plays music in a band, just like Tibor does. <laughs> and for some reason, we can just spot it. Oh, he's a Christian, isn't he? You can just see it in them. You can see just the way he thinks. It's, it's new thinking. And lo and behold, he is. And he's got two children of his own. And him and his wife decided... Um, to adopt special needs kids. And that's, that's where you see new thinking. In the world, the thinking that we see is if your child has Down syndrome and you know before the birth of the child, put it to death. And here is their new thinking saying, no, this child have a purpose in life. They're made in the, in the image of God. We're going to adopt them. They need special care. That's the new thinking. You, we, we can see it. You know, just this past, not this past weekend, but the weekend before, I spent a good couple of hours with Rowan watching um, Dude Perfect. I don't know if you've ever seen that on YouTube. Dude Perfect. Uh, what they do is they do like the Pong challenge and they, they bounce the Pong, the Pong the ping pong ball will bounce off this little side table onto the piano, onto the chair, and then it fall perfectly in the cup. So all these trick shots they do, or, or flipping of the water bottle or something like that, it's all about them doing trick shots. And I'm thinking, wow, this is an awesome, clean show. I really like it. I bet those guys are Christians. And you know what? They all are Christians. They're very firm in their faith. They believe Christ. They believe him crucified. They believe him raised up on the third day. And they put their hope and trust in him. 
and you can watch a 10-minute video of their testimony. It's all there on YouTube. Um, even though the show, they don't preach Christ on the show, it's all about their trick shots, I know that they're Christians. The way they think and the way they share their joy to the world is unique. And that's what you see in a renew, renewed mind. They make decisions in life that have purpose. They make decisions in life that give Christ honour and glory. They make decisions in life that are in line with the truth. They're sensitive to sin, so they won't go there. Being renewed in mind is not about being mindless. It's a... It's about being, sorry, mindlessness. It's all about being mindfulness. And listen to what it says in Philippians 4.8. This is what Apostle Paul wrote. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lowly, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about them. Put them in your head. And if they won't stick there, if they won't stick in your head, maybe you do as uh, Luther did and bash them in your heads. <laughs> so, um, well, it's something that he said um, many years back, just as a figure of speech, not, uh, nothing literal. But, um, yeah, just think of these things. Think of them daily so they stick there. It's, um, the renewed mind is a good for worshipping God mind. The renewed mind is a good for worshipping God mind. It's a mind set on honouring Christ. So, the new self is Christ-centred, not self-centred. The new self knows the truth, it's not ignorant of the truth. And knows the truth, that the truth is in Jesus. The new self is sensitive to sin. It's not shameless. The new self is renewed in mind. It's not reprobate in mind. So now we get on to principles for living the new self. And there are five here. Like I said, there's, there's a lot in this passage. A lot of it's quite practical. And this is where we start to see a, a lot of the practice coming out. There are five exchanges, okay? Just like we put off the old self, we exchange the old self for the new self, well, here are principles for that, for, and there are five of them here in this text. Exchange lying for speaking truth. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth. There's the contrast. Put away falsehood, speak the truth with his neighbour. For we are members one of another. Put away falsehood, the lying, and speak the truth. Now, how much falsehood do we see in this world? What would happen if all the falsehood in the world, everyone would just stop lying and just tell the truth? What do you reckon will happen? Probably start World War III. 
<laughs> all that, all those secret things that have been hidden for selfish devices or for whatever reason. But this is what we are to do. We are to put off the old self, put on the new, put away falsehood, speak the truth. And lying comes in many different forms. It could be simply withholding information for the wrong reasons, for a selfish pursuit. Um, you know, I always think of um, an argument, one of the arguments for um, defending homosexuality or, or other sins similar. Um, one of the arguments for defending it comes across like this, well, it doesn't hurt anyone. And you may have heard that argument before. Um, I could be cheating on my wife and not tell her. If she doesn't know, it's not going to hurt anyone. It's the same argument. It just doesn't work. And lying, if we were to tell the truth, like I said, probably would start World War III. But um, just something simple as in withholding the truth can be seen as a lie. Or, um, and usually, you know, falsehood is always comes with some sort of um, um, a desire to get something for the self or, or um, can be something that's quite malicious as well or have malicious intent. So we are to put away this and speak the truth, especially, especially as, he, as he says in here in, in the verse, verse 25, with his neighbour, but more importantly for we are members one of another. That's interesting. He's referring here to the church. And the church is like a body, and we are members in the body. Now imagine the eye in the body decides to lie to you while you're driving. And the eye says, no, there isn't a curve in the road. It's straight. What would happen? You go off the road, end up in a tree or something, or in a ditch. That's the thing in the body, within the church. We put away this falsehood, we speak the truth. Otherwise we might end up crashing. So the first one is, the first exchange, we exchange lying for speaking. The second one is exchange unrighteous anger for righteous anger. Okay, exchange the unrighteous for the righteous. Be angry and do not sin. This is verse 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. It's like saying, um, be angry at what God is angry at. I think that's a good way to put it. If God's angry about something, great. Be angry about that too. That's the kind of righteous um, indignation or righteous anger that we're looking for. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's pretty good. If we, if we weren't angry at, all, at the things that God's angry about, then what does that say about our testimony? What does it say about our faith? If we weren't angry about the injustices in the world, then nothing would be done. So I think it's important that there is this anger, but this anger is righteous, and we exchange the unrighteous for the righteous. 
But he also says here, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And that's quite interesting. And in one sense, we might take that literally and think, okay, if I'm angry, I better settle it before the sun goes down. So before the day ends, I just want to make sure I don't carry it on into the next day. Which is fine. I think that's a good principle to live by. But if we think of it um, metaphorically, don't let the sun go down on your anger. What happens? If we have righteous anger and the sun goes down on our righteous anger, it will be darkened. And that is possible. You might be right with your anger, and God's angry about it too, but what happens is your anger can lead to resentment. And this is where things get darkened, and, and don't let that happen. Don't let your anger turn into resentment. Your motive might be good in the beginning, but, you know, we're not like God. God can be righteously angry for a long time and he won't change his motive. But we're not like that. Anger can potentially lead us to resentment. And if the sun goes down on our anger, it becomes darkened. We might um, think, okay, we come to church and... Sure, I'm, I'm a bit angry about what happened. It's a righteous anger, great. But over time, if that's not resolved, that kind of tension in life is not resolved, what's going to happen is that that anger starts to become resentment. Maybe, I don't know, you start resenting a person in church, you won't talk to them, whatever reason. This is just an example, I don't know. So even though we exchange unrighteous anger... For righteous anger, make sure that that righteous anger doesn't become darkened, that it doesn't turn into resentment. We can't handle righteous anger in the same way God does. Sometimes we need to let it go and leave it up to God. So our third exchange, exchange stealing for sharing, in verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. It's really simple. Don't steal. Work instead, so you have something to share. And I think that's important that have something to share is, is there, because what would happen if we didn't share our stuff? didn't share our wealth. We'll just buy more stuff and build bigger barns to fill them, in, fill them up. Just so we don't have so much stuff, share it. Especially with anyone in need. I think that's kind of like setting the, the benchmark. Here's the priority. Find the one who's in need. It's like... Um, when you go into triage in a hospital and what doctors do is uh, they might find someone with, um, I don't know, a cut finger that needs a few stitches. They won't serve you straight away. Okay? And then someone else comes in who just had a stroke or a heart attack, they'll serve them first. They have a basis of need and so with our sharing, we should kind of categorise things according to need. 
who needs it. So don't steal. Exchange your stealing for sharing. If you're not going to steal, you're going to work for it. And do honest work. Not just any work, but honest work. So our fourth exchange. Exchange corrupt communication for edifying words. Verses 29 and 30. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This corrupt talk or corrupt communication is that word simply means filthy or rotten. Anything that's filthy or rotten. And if you look at the contrast, the contrast kind of helps us get an idea of what this means. The contrast is edifying for building up. So rather than putting people down, don't use words that put people down, but use words that build people up. And I really like it how it says, as fits the occasion. That's really, really important. What's the occasion? Who are you talking to? Are you talking to kids? How do you build up your kids in your communication? Are you talking to your parents, your co-workers? What's the occasion? Are you at work? Are you at a wedding? How are you exercising your mouth to build people up? And this kind of edifying talk gives grace. It's a gracious talk. Now, rather than putting people down, give them a bit of grace. Sometimes we call it the benefit of doubt. Give people grace. Build them up. They might not deserve to be built up, but your grace is there to build them up. Now, I see this a lot as a teacher. You know, there is a contrast between being firm and, and giving discipline or building up. Because the more we build up the kids, the, the, the less likely they're going to misbehave. And I think it just, this can be exercised everywhere. In our workplace, our home, um, if we're on holiday or we're at a function. The more we exercise in our communication to build people up, the better our relationships will be, um, the better everything will be. And we have this opportunity to give grace. And it also says here in this text, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That word simply means, the word grieve simply means pain. Do not be a pain to the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit has done all this to seal your redemption, your redemption, you've been redeemed Holy Spirit says, here's the stamp of approval. It's sealed. And then you go out and put someone down. That, it's a pain. The Holy Spirit feels pain. The Holy Spirit's not emotionless. The Holy Spirit's a person. 
He feels pain when you grieve the Holy Spirit. So we have exchanged lying for speaking truth, exchanged unrighteous anger for righteous anger, exchanged stealing for sharing, exchanged corrupt communication for edifying words, and exchanged natural vices for supernatural graces. So 31 to 32, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So again, you see the exchange here. Bitterness. So we all know what bitterness is when you've got that sharp taste in your mouth, but you don't want that to be part of your behaviour. You don't want that to be part of your personality. Wrath or anger. This um, has in mind the, that kind of unrighteous anger or you know, resentment that comes from anger. And then we have this word clamour. I had to look this one up. I don't know if you guys use this word in your vocabulary. It's not one that's really in mind. Clamour simply means an uproar. It's like when you're driving and someone cuts you off and you're all in an uproar, all angry, ready to yell at them. That's the kind of thing that clamour is all about. It's like when I'm at school and all the kids are fighting to be the first in line. They're all in an uproar. No, you were first last time. It's my turn to be first. That's the kind of uproar we're looking at. That's what clamour is. And I said to him, it doesn't really matter because we all end up in the same classroom at the same time. It doesn't matter whether you're first or last. And sometimes what I do is I get the kids to line up, they fight about the front, but then I lead them from the back of the line. <laughs> so it really doesn't matter. First is last and last is first. So what's the big deal? But it's a bit like that, isn't it? It's uh, supernatural graces like kindness, tender-hearted and forgiveness is what we are to exchange these natural vices. You know, bitterness and wrath and anger, they kind of seem to come natural to us. It's like our go-to emotional response. If we were impulsive and we behaved impulsively, this is what we tend to go to. But we are to exchange that for supernatural graces, like kindness, tender-hearted, God, through his kindness and tender, tender heart, forgave us. So, no worries, I've got it here. So we are to put off the old self and put on the new self. Put off self-centred, useless thinking Put on Christ-centered, useful thinking. Put off ignorance. Put on the truth, which is in Jesus. Remember all this in the mind. Put off shamelessness. Put on sensitive to sin. And put off a reprobate mind and put on a renewed mind. So off with the old, on with the new. This is what this passage is all about. And how we do that in practice, here are 
exchange lying for speaking the truth, exchange unrighteous anger for righteous anger, exchange stealing for sharing, corrupt communication for edifying words, and natural vices for supernatural graces. Now, before I finish, I've gone back to verse 1 to finish off. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And the reason why I wanted to finish off with this is because for these next, for this chapter 4 and for chapter 5 to come, that word walk comes again and again and again. This is our practice, our manner. Is it worthy of the calling to which we have been called? Are we walking in line with our calling? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, It's uh, so wonderful not just to have all the theological implications we find in your word, but also the practical ones. And we thank you that you've given us a new self, that we are to put off the old and put on the new. And we thank you for all the practical implications that you've given us. make all these changes. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing sin in our hearts, helping us to be sensitive to it, and helping us to repent. Thank you for granting us repentance. And thank you, Jesus, for the work that you've done on the cross. <coughs> that you've come to die in our place so that we may live in yours. And we know that death cannot hold you and that you are risen and we will forever live with you in eternity. May your name be glorified for all eternity. Amen.